1: What companies belong on Oregon's Mount Rushmore? Nike, Tektronix, Les Schwab Tire Centers, and now, Dutch Bros? The Grants Pass-based drive through coffee company's success isn't new, but its decision to go public is putting the company in rarefied air. It may soon be one of Oregon's most valuable brands. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source, for supporting the show. Up next, business reporter Mike Rogaway talks about Dutch Bros and its remarkable rise from Grant's past novelty to a caffeinated juggernaut. We talked about the Dutch Mafia, its brand awareness, why even some notable coffee purists are all in on the company's future, and what its rise says about the state's business climate. Here's our conversation. Mike Rogaway, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Good to see you, Andrew.
1: So, Mike, we know so much about Nike's founding, you know, the Waffle Iron, Phil Knight, Bill Bowerman, all that jazz. But what do we know about another soon to be potentially billion dollar Oregon company with deep roots, Dutch Bros and its origin story?
0: Well, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, it's very much an Oregon company. It's very much on brand for the state. You know, it's a small town company out of Grants Pass. Uh, they started in 1992 just as a coffee cart. They Grew steadily over several years. In the past few years, it soared. And then, you know, this summer, it, it filed for an IPO. They filed confidentially, mm-hmm. uh, which means that they don't have to spill the beans yet on their financials or their ownership structure, or their franchising arrangements, and things like that. But they can start this long mechanical process to go public. Reports out of Wall Street suggest the company will be worth about $3 billion when they do go public. Hmm. So that'll make it one of the state's very biggest companies. Uh, this is Chain of Coffee Carts.
1: <laughs> Spill the beans. I loved. to, uh, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of beans, <laughs> $3 billion. Yes. Uh, people who listen to this show know that I'm, I'm from Southern Oregon. And I, the thing about Dutch Bros that I feel like maybe people who live and have only lived in Portland is I don't think they really understand the significance statewide of this company, not just regionally in West coast, but this is, you know, I was talking to one of our editors, Carly Imus about this. And I mean, you're, you're hard pressed to find anything that spans the course of multiple decades that has a universal <laughs> approval rating with, with teenagers and Dutch bros is that, and it goes back Decades, We're talking like to the late 90s, um, its influence all around the state.
0: You know, in, in the Portland area where we think, you know, coffee is a really refra- refined beverage and, and, you know, Stumptown or Cova, that's, that's kind of what people think about. But Dutch Bros has quietly really become part of Oregon's culture. Uh, and really, it's built a culture around it that isn't necessarily regionally based. They talk about the Dutch Mafia. These are mm-hmm. folks who just love this. I won't say they love the coffee. They may, but it's really the whole experience. You know, it's the drive through experience. It's the super cheery baristas or broistas, as they call them. <laughs> uh, you know, it's the, the wide menu. You have it the way you want it. Uh, a million different kinds of drinks. Uh, it's just got this real almost cult following uh, around it. As uh, just a fun place to work, a fun place to go, a fun place to make part of your routine. And they've really developed a, a powerful brand around that. And I, I admit, you know, as a Portland resident and as somebody who doesn't drink coffee, mm. uh, I was ignorant of just ha- what a big cultural uh, impact they have. Now, they've gone from this one coffee stand uh, in 1992 in, in Little Grants Pass, Southern Oregon town of 30,000. Uh, they got 470 stores now, and their goal has been to get to 800. They're all the way from Marysville, Washington, you know, way up north, all the mm-hmm. way down to College Station, Texas. 11 states now. Um, they're big business.
1: Pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, obviously, you can on any any given day you could write about any company, and obviously, I, I would imagine the IPO gave you a good reason to write about it. But but why did you want to write a little bit more about Dutch Bros right now?
0: The IPO is, is sort of a milestone for the company and, and for Oregon. You know, we haven't had a large IPO in Oregon. Uh, it's raised more than $100 million since the early 2000s. It's, we just haven't built a new large company in the state in a very long time. The IPO suggests that Dutch Bros is going that way. That um, rather than sell out to a larger conglomerate or something like that, They've built a business that they feel does best on its own, at least for the foreseeable future. And so it's probably going to stick around for a little bit of a period of time. Uh, because we haven't built any large organ companies, you know, depending on what you consider to be large, maybe since the 90s or 80s, yeah. uh, it would be that far back. The old ones that we had, the Mentor Graphics, FEI, Planar, uh, ESI, Tektronics, They've all matured and sold. Many of them still have operations here, but they're not based in Oregon anymore. And we just haven't been refreshing the pipeline. You know, Dutch Bros suggests, hey, it's going to be here for a while as its own business. Uh, it may eventually become part of a larger organization, but this is the path they're choosing for now. And it's at an interesting time. They're not the only ones going down this road. Uh, mm-hmm. We now have FECASA. Uh, which is uh, filed to go public through a, a different mechanism, not an IPO, but they're essentially making a deal with an investment fund. But again, you know, that's that they'll, they'll be even more valuable uh, if that deal comes off this fall than Dutch Bros. They'd be worth $4.5 billion. It suggests that Oregon is maybe again building some companies, just a few, that expect to be around for a while on their own two feet.
1: And um, for for people who aren't aware, an IPO is just describe it in layman's terms, right?
0: Yeah, it's a, a, an IPO is an initial public offering. You go to Wall Street, you have a, a a big spectacle. You go to the exchange and you say our stock is now available to the public. Anybody can buy it. It trades very easily on the major stock exchanges, NASDAQ or or the New York Stock Exchange. It raises a company's profile uh, among investors. The IPO is an expensive process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't go through it unless you really see a big opportunity there.
1: This is a mechanism, though, that you know the Dutch mafia can, can literally show some Dutch <laughs> love, right, by buying buying a, a stake in the company.
0: If if the, if they choose to, yes, you'll be very able to get it very easily, you know, open uh a, a, a your own account or get it through your broker, uh, and you know, pick up some shares. What we haven't seen yet for Dutch Bros are their financials. They haven't disclosed that yet, and because they filed confidential confidentially so we don't know yet um how profitable they are mm-hmm. uh, how much cash they have how much they hope to raise through the ipo they took investments three years ago from a private equity firm and the goal then was to move i think it was from 300 to 800 stores or shops in five mm-hmm. years right now they're at 470 so you know they've added 170 of the 500 that they hope to get to do you typically raise some money during the IPO, and probably a hundred million or more in Dutch Bros' case? Perhaps that deal will help fund that continued expansion.
1: You've written a lot about the pandemic, obviously, Mike, and its effect on our economy and businesses. Uh, why, you know, dumb question, but why was Dutch Bros so well positioned to succeed in a pandemic?
0: Well, you know, if you're not familiar with the brand, you might think, oh, they're a coffee shop but uh, they're a drive-through. They do have some coffee shops and you can go into many of their drive-throughs and place your order. But they're, right. they're primarily known as a place you pull up to a kiosk. It's just a little bit of real estate on a busy road. You pull up uh, and you order your coffee. And you know, that's a, a really good setup in this period because you know for a long time, last year, you couldn't go into a shop. And even now, many people are reluctant to go in, mask mm-hmm. or not. Well, here you pull up, you're, you know, you're outside. It's not just Dutch Bros. There are indications that even Starbucks, even before the pandemic, was moving more to the drive-through kind of chain. The economics of it are compelling. You don't have to pay for the expensive real estate of a store. Right. You're not paying for fixtures and bathrooms and things like that. It's it's just a little bit more lean, uh, a little bit more nimble business. And it doesn't mean it's Dutch Bros' only model, but you know they're able to pack a lot into those kiosks in terms of their offerings, and and it's done really well for them. But, uh, you know, they were well set up for the pandemic. It was going that way even before.
1: Mike, you rattled off uh, companies that you've covered for, you know, nearly two decades out in the Silicon Forest in Washington County in terms of um, companies that have had IPOs uh, over in, in recent decades in Oregon. But in, in your story about Dutch Bros, you made a, a really smart link to another iconic um, service oriented, I guess you could say, uh, Oregon brand, and that's Les Schwab. What do Dutch Bros and Les Schwab have in common?
0: Well, the obvious connection is the small town roots. You know, uh, Les Schwab started uh, his tire chain in tiny Prineville, you know, northeast of Bend, and it, it stayed there uh, until the, the 2009, the year after he died. That was its headquarters. Even now, its headquarters are in Bend, which are Relatively small, so it's the small town roots. But what really got me started on on thinking about that comparison is the way they greet you at at both chains. Now it's not always this way at Schwab anymore, but it was for many years. When you pull into the parking lot, one of the tire jockeys comes out and greets you and say, "Hey, what do you need? How are your tires?" They immediately start looking, talking. Hey, how can we help? You know, you come in, they serve your coffee and popcorn. Uh, it's built to be this really friendly experience. Yeah. And it's the same shtick with, with Dutch bros. You know, you pull up there in in your line for your coffee. Well, there's six cars in front of you. Well, they come out of the kiosk. You got a cheery breeze, uh, barista broista out there with her notepad. And and she's like, hey, how you doing? What do you what do you need? How you doing today? Um, because people go up every day. They often know you and they know your order, but they still greet you. Uh, and then, you know, when you pull up, when you get to the front of the line, Your drink's ready for you right then, Uh, and you can have it, you know, right like that. And so I I think that that sort of proactive greeting and proactive small town friendliness uh, is pretty similar. There's there's one other element though that I that struck me as very similar at Schwab. For many years, they only and still even today, largely they only promote from within. Mm -hmm. If you want to run one of their stores, uh, if you want to want to get one of their high paying jobs, you got to start at the ground floor. You got to start out changing tires, fixing brakes that kind of thing. Uh, and then you get promoted up to be an assistant manager. And if you succeed there, they'll give you another store uh, to run. And maybe they'll send you to Montana or, or Colorado or Utah or something like that where they're growing. So you got to move, but you know it's a, a big professional opportunity for people who've moved up through the company. And that was part of Les Schwab's philosophy. Well, it's similar at Dutch Bros. If you want to own Leshua mostly doesn't franchise they have a few uh, mm-hmm. but mostly they don't franchise Dutch Bros does franchise and if you want to own one of their franchises, they only sell those to employees. so you got to work your way up through the company like that. and when they open a new store, they take a new a newsstand they take high performers from existing stores and send them there and say, hey, help that crew get up to speed and it's just a way of you know making sure that the culture stays intact that the brand is is, the same though the way they want it everywhere they open. Yeah. And that's how that's how they're able to, you know, go all the way as far afield as Texas. Uh is, you know, leapfrog and 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 have people who are in the culture exporting it to new markets.
1: Yeah, I guess do they say howdy down in college station? (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) Uh what are you up to today? Um well it's it's a pretty remarkable rise. And obviously now they have you know, more than 10,000 employees across all these states. I mean, what do we know about, you know, obviously, um, I I can speak to you from my personal experience, like being a patron for a long time in Jackson County, like it's a lot of high school students, or college students, it's a lot of young, you know, energetic, friendly faces. Um, but those are still, you know, employees who um, have concerns or, Desires? I mean, what do we know about the workforce and what issues they might have that you've heard of? Do we know anything?
0: They haven't disclosed that much of it. You know, talking to people in the coffee industry about it, they say it doesn't have a reputation as an especially diverse company, uh, which isn't necessarily shocking considering it comes from a small, uh, you know, southern Oregon town. Uh, and because it's primarily a suburban brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as they grow, you know, that that could change. Uh, it doesn't have a reputation as being a particularly high paying job or one that most employees stay in for a long period of time. It has a rep of being a, you know, a minimum wage type job. But if your choice is, you know, flipping burgers, at McDonald's, or working in this environment where it's supposed to be really friendly and really inviting, and it's you know, sort of a party every day, uh, really upbeat, well, at least for a certain type of employee. Uh, that is perhaps especially appealing uh, and maybe a, a more fun place to work for a first job. And for some small percentage of those people, it turns into more than a first job. It, it, it does become something something enduring.
1: Well, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk a bit more with Mike Rogaway, a business reporter for The Oregonian and Oregon Live. So, Mike, uh, Oregon and the Pacific Northwest are, you know, we're known for our coffee. But what makes Dutch Bros unique in this world? And what do, you know, experts you talk to who are, you know, maybe the more (laughs) highbrow baristas, uh, what do they think of this brand?
0: You know, as you say, Oregon is known for its coffee. Pacific Northwest is, you know, we got Stumptown, Kova, that kind of thing. It's, you know, high-end, rarefied coffee. This is good stuff. And, you know, people all over the country really appreciate it. Uh, Dutch Bros hasn't played to that market. That's not to say their coffee is bad. People who like it really like it. And I'm not in a position to say one way or another, as I say, I'm not a coffee drinker. But it's more about the experience. They're deliberately trying not to be snobby. They want to be a fun, accessible brand. They want to give it to you on your terms. So yeah, you can get your Americana. You can get your drip coffee there. But their menu is stuffed with things like cold brews. They've got a Dutch freeze kind of frosty drink, smoothies, yeah. energy drinks. You know, it's stuff young people love. It's it's lots of calories, lots of caffeine, <laughs> lots of energy, lots of frothy flavor. But that's that's part of the fun. But I, I wouldn't say it's exclusively a young person's brand uh, by any means. Nice. Uh, it's it's all sort of part of the the culture and the keep coming back. You know, yeah, maybe maybe some of those drinks are not going to appeal uh, to your retiree, but everybody likes a. a a friendly face. Almost everybody likes a friendly face when you're ordering your drink. And so I think they have spanned generations.
1: So, Mike, well, let's stay in the coffee lane, I guess. who Who is Joth Ricci and what's his relationship to Dutch Bros?
0: Well, Joth's their CEO. He's not their founder. Uh, they were founded by two brothers in Grant's past, one of whom died of ALS uh, 12 years ago. Uh, and the other one ran the company uh, up until fairly recently. And then they hired Joth, who comes from the other end of the coffee spectrum. He, w- he ran some for many years. And on the, on the face of it, uh, you're like, that's kind of a strange fit. You take somebody <laughs> from it, from, uh, one of the really fancy coffee brands and say, now you're going to run this deliberately mass market brand, this self-consciously mass market brand. Mm-hmm. Is that a good fit? It's sort of like going from, I don't know, uh, you know, one of Portland's, you know, nice restaurants, uh, you know, whoever's running that. (laughs) No, no disparaging
1: here. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. (laughs) But suddenly running Sonic or something like that, or Burgerville. Uh, it's like, oh, really? Uh, that's, that's kind of a weird fit, but, but here's the ways in in which it, it, it might make some sense. You know, Stumptown also took private equity. They also were working to make their brand, their coffee brand national and, you know, folks I talked to said that's that's kind of Joth's bit. He gets coffee, he gets a company culture, he gets what makes a brand strong, uh, and he has the experience and expertise to take a company that has a really strong idea and sort of make it something more, help scale that up. And as I say, we'll we'll learn a lot more about this when we when we see the details of their IPO filing sometime yeah. probably this late this summer or this fall. But at that point, we'll get a good idea of where his vision fits and where where the company wants to go. But it it seems like it's a little less strange of a fit than it might might look at first glance.
1: Well, he's got the the beans in common, right? I mean, that's uh, right. at the the root of it. What does Dutch Bros success say about Oregon's economy, or? you know, our ability to to build brands or if anything, or is it just, you know, one company's story that just so happens to come from, you know, Grants Pass and Josephine County?
0: I, I think it does say something larger, Andrew. I, I, I was talking about this with Luke Canice, who is the founder and former CEO of Puppet. That's Portland's biggest software company. Puppet's been very successful, but not extraordinarily successful. They kind of hit a ceiling. They've been trying to go public for years and haven't gotten there. And There've been a number of other companies that kind of had that in mind, like Tripwire and JAMA software tech companies that had IPO dreams, but, but didn't make it. Uh, Puppet may yet get there, but they haven't yet. And what, what Luke said is that Oregon's been trying to do things, you know, it didn't really have a track record in, like business software. And it's not that you can't succeed in that here, Puppet has to a degree, um, but it's not really our specialty. We, we don't really have an ecosystem around business software. But we are good at coffee. Everyone says so. And while most of the state lives in Portland, you know, most of our land is rural or small town. So we can draw on that. And Dutch Bros has has kind of cashed in on that. And you know, Vicasa might be some of the, the same story. We have this, this company, this vacation rental management company. And no, we don't have a lot of expertise in that business. But when it comes to marketing, uh, that is something that Oregon has some history in. And so... We have another business that's, that's having some success, and Oregon hasn't produced a, a big new company in decades, You know, depending on how long it is. you Look, it's a long ways back, mm-hmm. and that just reflects some structural issues in the state around executive talent, higher ed, lack of local funding. We don't have a lot of big investment funds here, but we do have small towns and coffee, and we do have Dutch Bros.
1: Yeah, I guess... You know, again, going back to my own experience. I mean, you look at a map and you look at Dutch Bros in Oregon, and I mean, they are just they. I think they've actually contracted in Medford. I think they had more uh, than they you know previously than they do now. But I mean, you look at a map; it's every major arterial, you know, blanketing the Rogue Valley, um, you know, in the same way in Highway 97. If you go into the the Bend Redmond area, you know, I guess when you kind of expand that nationally uh it's a bet on you know maybe you might see that windmill on on big urban highways um all around the country
0: well i think i think that's probably true uh but it may depend a little bit on what you define as urban uh i I think Andrew, what you're describing it their sweet spot may be this sort of mid-sized town you know not not a really small town but something in the medford scale yeah uh where you have where it's you know People are really driving around a lot, you know, to get pretty much anywhere you want to go. It can be sort of small urban or suburban. That's kind of it seems to be their sweet spot. And you know, I mentioned as far north as they go and as far south as they go. Well, that's Marysville, Washington, for sure. You know, not tiny, but small suburban exurban town. That's College Station. It's a college town. Uh, It's not tiny. You know, Texas A and M is there. Uh, but it's not San Antonio either, and I think that's kind of where they're thriving. It's not to say they can't thrive in Portland. Pretty much any time of day, cars are lined up onto the street there for for them. But that doesn't appear to be where their model is. And we'll learn more about this when they file their IPO. But I suspect real estate costs might have something to do with that. Yeah, uh, they don't need to pay. They they can thrive in in places where real estate is less expensive. They don't need to be in you know downtown Portland or Uh, downtown Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, I think I misspoke there with the urban. So thank you for clarifying. But I guess uh, take a dark turn here. But with climate change and with people driving everywhere, um, you know, there's always going to be a need for some place to drive. And uh, hey, with war. Warmer weather, uh, maybe you want a Dutch freeze in Bellingham, you know. And, and, uh, and, uh... They're not that far north yet. Uh...
0: <laughs>
1: but it's a college town, and, you know, that's not someplace that, um, you know, oh, I'm you know sure, I'm I could sure see it's it there.
0: I'm sure it's circled on there.
1: Well, anything else you'd want to hit on, I appreciate you, uh, you taking time to talk about it. And it's interesting that all of a sudden we've got these two, um, you know, Oregon foreign companies that are uh, about to uh, potentially have significant, significant uh, valuations.
0: Yeah. I, I think what we're seeing is that Oregon is again, being a slowly in just a few, but we're again, being able to grow some mature companies, you know, uh, businesses that have grown up enough uh, to get to this point where they're going to be established businesses and going to be around for a while. And, you know, I, the state went through not necessarily a difficult economic time. You could say that the past 20 years, with the notable exception of the Great Recession, have been among Oregon's strongest economically. Certainly the last decade has been. But we didn't produce our own big new companies during that time. It was mostly outposts. Mm-hmm. But now some of that economic success is beginning to spill over and other businesses are are taking root. And that's the kind of thing that, that gives the state economy some staying power. Uh, whatever comes over the next 10 or 20 years
1: well interesting stuff and i think it's only fitting that i send you off with a, a dutch bros
0: salute have a good day bro <laughs> thank you andrew it's good to see you
1: thanks for listening to beat check with the Oregonian. i shared a link to mike's story about dutch bros in the episode notes if you like this show give us a five-star rating and review an apple Podcasts or tell a friend it really helps people find the program if you value our journalism, the best way to show it is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com podsupport pod support until next time.